All right, well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. We are finishing Acts chapter 8 today after a, uh, a few weeks off. Um, but before we get there, um, I, I, Diana and I don't typically talk about the songs beforehand, but I am very grateful that she picked uh, It Is Well With My Soul this morning. Um, I don't know how many of you know the story behind, behind that hymn, so I'm going to take like two minutes and, and, and share. Um, it was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford. I think I said his name right. Let me... Just scrolling through. Yes, Horatio Spafford. Um, and Horatio Spafford, he was a successful lawyer and he was a successful businessman. He owned a lot of property. And then one right after the other, you know the, the saying, uh, the other shoe dropped? Um, one right after the other, some major tragedies took place in his life. For the, started off with his three-year-old son, or I'm sorry, his two-year-old son died. And then the great Chicago fire happened. And so he had invested a lot of pro money in property in Chicago. And, and the great Chicago fire swept through that city um, because of that dumb cow. And, uh, um, and, and all of the property that he owned was severely damaged. Uh, his law office, because he was a successful lawyer, his law office was damaged as well. And then um, there was an economic downturn that took place toward the end of the, uh, the 1800s, and he lost a, a ton of money in that. And so what they were going to do is, in, in an attempt to recover, uh, to kind of you know, get, some, get some space uh, in their life, they were going to take a trip to England, to, to Europe. So, um, but at the last moment, he decided to stay back home in America, and he sent his wife and four daughters on the ship ahead. Well, as they were going across the Atlantic Ocean, they collided with another ship, and the boat that they were on sank like I mean just ripped a hole a, a huge hole in the hull and and the, and the boat went down like super quick only his wife survived she sent him she sent him a two-word um she sent him a two-word telegram that said saved alone and that that's all it was um and in the midst of all of this tragedy in the midst of every excuse me everything that was uh excuse me Everything that was happening in his life, he was able to sit down and, and with every, I mean, all one of those things would be enough to destroy a person. But imagine just one right after the other, all of these things happening. And, and he's, he was able to say, it is well with my soul. It shows just what an enormous amount of faith he had in, excuse me, um, it's a, uh, <laughs> big story. All right, well, let's go ahead before I get myself all, all a mess here. My makeup starts running and stuff. Um, all right, we, we have been, we, we looked at Acts chapter 8 for a couple weeks. We, we looked at a couple different uh, things. Uh, let me just give you a, a little background here before we jump into the rest of this chapter. Uh, today, we're going to look at a story called Philip and the Ethiopian Official. Now, as we've seen in Acts chapter 8, uh, this chapter is about a man named Philip. And back in Acts chapter 6, there was, this, uh, there was the great widow controversy of uh, AD 3, I think it was, or AD 4, I don't know, Bill, when was it? You were there. I'm just, I'm just busting everybody's chops this morning. You better watch out, because I got, I got a whole page of Osteen comments here. Oh, Eric's not here to cheer me on, so. All right. Um, anyway, they had, this, they had this controversy, and, and the, the apostle said, look, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you choose seven men that are going to take care of the uh, take care of this controversy that we've got going on. And we know one of those men was a guy named Stephen, but also included in that list was a man named Philip. 
And what ended up happening was Stephen, Stephen was preaching and doing these things and it was upsetting people. So they, they raised a, a bunch of ruckus in regards to it. And um, as the apostles and, and their, the disciples were wont to do, anytime they were given the platform rather than beg for their lives, they preached Jesus. And it got to the place where Phil, or Stephen so upset everybody that they dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death. They, they basically pelted him with these massive rocks until he died. It's a, a slow, agonizing death. And immediately following that, the scripture tells us that there was persecution and the Hellenistic Jews spread out all over, all over the country uh, to try to flee the persecution that was coming. Well, Philip, one of those guys that was chosen, he went to Samaria. And Samaria, for him to go to Samaria and preach the gospel was groundbreaking because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They had a long history of reasons that they hated each other. And uh, he went there and he began to preach the gospel. And P uh, Peter and John came down and saw it and the Holy Spirit fell on them. Uh, and, and the last time we were in Acts together, we, we looked at a guy named Simon the Magician. And Simon the Magician, he had held sway. He, he was kind of the big dog in town. Everybody loved him because he was able to do magic tricks and, and all of these things. And when Philip showed up, he saw that Philip was pulling some of his followers away. So he made a profession of faith and said, hey, I'm a believer too. Look at me, everybody. And when Peter and John showed up, uh, Simon went to him and said, hey, you got this power. Let me give you some money so I can get this power too. Because he wanted it for the, the fame and the, the things that it was going to bring to him. And Peter said, listen, you, we, that's not how this works. Obviously, you're still caught up in all of this. And we saw that Simon's profession of faith wasn't a true faith. Because instead of repenting of it, he just looked at Peter and said, I don't want that to happen. Pray for me. Pray for me that that doesn't happen rather than repent of it. Now, as we continue on, and we'll see here in a second, Philip is going to, be, is going to continue to be used by God um, to spread the gospel uh, from here on out. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this. Father, I thank you for today, Lord. I thank you for the sunshine. I thank you for all of the praises that we heard this morning. And uh, we ask that you be with our prayer requests. Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes. Let, let us trust the Holy Spirit to teach us the things that uh, you would have us to know. Uh, help us to be more like your son after we leave here today. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, now this, is, uh, this past, or message is uh, called... Philip and the Ethiopian official. So let's go ahead and we're going to be at Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Uh, the first thing that we're going to see here is Philip goes to the Ethiopian official. I'm going to read verses 26 through 29. And it says, And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem, and he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Now, as we've seen in Acts chapter 8, Philip is very dependent on the Holy Spirit. Like when, the, when the Holy Spirit tells him to do something... Philip is quite in tune with it, and he has a he, he does what, he, what he's requested to do. And so as a result, as a result, um, the Spirit is using Philip to do some pretty amazing things. 
And in Acts chapter 26, it tells us that an angel of the Lord told Philip, hey, I want you to go out here to this desert road. Didn't tell him what he was going to do. He just said, Philip, get up and go. And so Philip said, okay, all right? It's, it's kind of reminiscent of, if you remember last year, we looked at Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. God told Abraham to get his family up and to, to leave his town. And Abraham said, all right, let's do it. Let's go find out what's going to happen. Philip kind of did, the, or didn't kind of, Philip did the same thing. God told him to go because he was uh, trusting the Holy Spirit. He went. Now, this road that he went to, uh, it was a pretty well-traveled road. There was a, a lot of traffic that went back and forth between Egypt, which is uh, in, in the northern part of Africa, and Jerusalem. So a, lo a lot of uh, uh, caravans and things went through there. It was the main path, like I said, that led from Jerusalem to Egypt and other parts of North Africa. Now, on this road, it just so happened that there was an Ethiopian official who worked for Candace. All right. She was the, uh, as the Bible tells us, she was queen of the Ethiopians. Now, when, when the Bible is talking about Ethiopia, it's not talking about the modern nation of Ethiopia that we might think of. In, in essence, what it's referring to is it's referring to all of the northern part of Africa that wasn't Egypt. So places like Libya and, forgive me, I can't remember all the other ones, but um, places in that region, those are, are considered part of Ethiopia. And when it, when it talks about, um, when it talks about the Candace, the queen, they, the, the region of Ethiopia, they had a king, but he was, he was thought of as, as if he was a deity, as if he was possessed by, by a god. And so he was worshipped as if he was God. And so because of that, he wasn't allowed to do anything. He wasn't allowed to make any decisions. He, he basically got to sit on a chair and eat grapes. That, that's kind of... The image that I have, you know how they always have people feeding them grapes and and uh, like like Eddie Murphy on Coming to America. That's kind of what I'm what I'm thinking here. And, and so, but the kingdom still had to be run. So what what Candace is referring to is it's referring to the queen mother, the the king's mom. She was basically the one in charge of running Ethiopia, taking care of the day to day things and and, and those types of things. The Ethiopian official, the, the guy that's in the chariot, he's coming along, he was one of her top servants. And, and the scripture refers to him as a eunuch. Now, I don't want to go into description as to, to what that is. Go home and Google it and then clear your browser history. Um, but, you know, basically what it meant was he was so devoted to the queen and he was so devoted to the kingdom that he underwent an alteration to show his devotion to, to what was going on. Um, basically, his whole life was devoted to that kingdom. Now, this Ethiopian official also happened to be a Jew, which is why he was traveling to Jerusalem to worship. Uh, it's not generally something that non-Jewish non people or uh, folks of other religions would do. They wouldn't necessarily travel there. So that indicates that he was a, a Jew. He was most likely a convert to Judaism, rather than someone that was born as a Jew. Um, and he had traveled from Africa and to Jerusalem to worship. Now, he's, he was clearly devoted to his faith to be able to, to, to be willing to travel such a long distance. Now, even though this road was well-traveled, travel at, at this particular time was not the safest thing to do. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. It wasn't the safest thing to do. So he was clearly devoted to his religion to be willing to, to travel that far. 
Um, and I've actually, I've heard some pastors say that, that this, uh, this official was probably returning, uh, when we pick him up, he's returning from Jerusalem going back to Ethiopia. And, and I've heard some pastors say that he was leaving with a sense of disappointment. Uh, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 23, look it up in the King James, it's quite humorous. Um, it, it talks about anybody who is, is injured or, or damaged in a particular part of his body is not allowed to be in the assembly of God. That, that um, if, you're, if you're altered or damaged in, in, in a particular area of your body, I'm trying to be as gentle here as possible. Is my face turning red? Because I'm sorry to, I'm, I'm going to move on. But the, Deuteronomy 23.1 tells us that, that if, if that's the case, that you're not allowed to worship in the temple. Um, and so, but the scripture doesn't necessarily indicate that. It just, it was something I picked up along the way. Um, what we do see is that he, as he's returning home, he's immersing himself in the scriptures. He's not paying attention to the scenery of what's going on. He's not, you know, staring out the window of his chariot or doing any of those things. He's reading the scripture. Um, he's being the official in charge of the treasury. He was quite wealthy. And we, we, we see that because uh, at this particular time, owning a scroll, usually the temple was the only place that you could get a scroll. And so the fact that he had one of his own indicated that he was, he was quite wealthy, that the, the queen was taking care of him because he was taking care of her treasury. Uh, and so he was, sitting in the, he was riding in the chariot, reading it aloud to himself. And it's at this point that Philip comes to understand why the Holy Spirit brought him out here into the middle of nowhere. Right? It's at this point he sees it and he goes, he was instructed by the Holy Spirit to go join up with that particular chariot. Now, the Ethiopian official was hungering and thirsting after righteousness. He was a worshiper of God, but to this point, he didn't know the salvation that came through Jesus Christ. He only knew Judaism, and he was following those, um, he was following the tenets laid out for Jews, but he hadn't been exposed to what Jesus Christ had to offer for him. Clearly, though, his heart and mind were being prepared by the Holy Spirit for the message that Philip was getting ready to deliver. As believers, as you, you and I, as believers, we need to be looking for opportunities to share the gospel, but we also need to be aware of the interest of the person that we're talking to. Have you ever tried to share the gospel, if you share the gospel, have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone who's clearly not interested? All right, I, when, when, I was in, uh, when I was in college, um, there was a, another, I went to Pensacola Christian College, and there was another school in town called Pensacola Bible Institute. And the people at Pensacola Bible Institute, they had to wear, I don't know why they had to wear this, they always had to wear white shirts with short sleeves. It's the weirdest look, and they had to wear this tie. And, and, and as a part of the, the, the church and the college, part of what they had to do was stand on the street corner on the highways holding up signs and screaming at cars. They had, they, they, and they, they, they thought they were doing something good by doing this street preaching, right? Maybe their hearts were in the right place, but the method that they were using, you know, we, we, we would see them, we would just kind of like, oh, please don't think we're one of them. Like, any of you wearing a white shirt today? Because we, you know, we had to, we, at the college I went to, we had to wear shirts with collars and stuff, but we were making sure nobody, you got a white, change your shirt, man. I don't want people to think that we're with, with this group over here. There are times when we're going to share the gospel with people, and it's going to be, uh, op they're going to be open and receptive to it. There are going to be times where we're going to get, uh, uh, as the, 
um, the three circles told us we're going to get a yellow light where they're, they're somewhat interested, but they're kind of cautious. And there are going to be other times where we're going to get a red light and they're going to tell us flat out, I'm not interested. Don't continue to talk here. And our job in that situation is to spread the seed, tell them what we need to tell them, and then step away. Because it's not our responsibility to make sure someone gets to heaven. That's God's job. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 6 and 7 says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. So we may share the gospel with somebody multiple times, and it feels like we're just bashing our heads against the wall because they're not listening to what we're saying. But what we don't know is that we're continuing to water the seed that somebody else has planted, and God is going to use that to grow their faith to the point where they give their lives to Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see as we, go, as we continue on is Philip shares Christ with the Ethiopian official. I'm going to read Acts 30 down through verse 33. It says, When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was like this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? Philip, I like this part. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Following the directions of the Holy Spirit, as we just saw, Philip immediately runs up to the chariot, and as he approached, he heard the man was reading from the uh, prophet Isaiah. Philip initiated a conversation with him by asking him if he knew what, if he understood what he was reading, and, and when he did that, he got the indication that the man was open to having a conversation about Jesus. The man's response was, well, how can I unless somebody helps me out? Too often what we see, um, too, uh, too often what happens is the Holy Spirit will lead us into situations and we get softballs lobbed to us. All right? And I'm not talking those, those fast pitch softballs like, you know, you see the, I don't know if you've seen that video of the, the fast pitch girl playing dodgeball. Right? And she's like, boom, and the kids are falling down. It's like Billy Madison type stuff. Um, anyway, it's not that kind of softball. It's just kind of the, right? We get, we get these softball situations lobbed to us where these people are, are clearly begging us to tell them about Jesus. And we're like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm out. I'm out. Thankfully, Philip didn't do that. Philip, followed, Philip was so yielded to the Holy Spirit. He was so dependent on him. He went up to him. And the more that we depend on the Holy Spirit, the more that we trust him, the more those situations are going to come and we're going to be able to sow the seed that God will grow into a saving faith. Now, like I said, the man in the chariot, the official, responded by saying that he didn't understand because there was no one to help him understand what he was reading. Philip climbed, he invited Philip up into the chariot to read along with him. Now, the passage that he was reading was Isaiah 53 verse 7 and 8. It's a passage we typically read around Easter time. Um, and up to this point, because Isaiah had been written several hundred years earlier, when they went into the temple, people would read this. The, the, the people of Israel, they would hear this passage, 
And they, they thought that that particular passage was referring to the nation, that they were talking about the nation of Israel. They, they could see themselves in there. It wasn't until after Jesus resurrected from the dead, uh, at the end of Luke, he's walking down the path, and he runs into these two guys, and they say, he goes, why, why do you look the way you look? And they're like, have, where have you been, man? Did you just get here? Don't you know what's taking place? And Jesus proceeds to walk with them the rest of the trip. They're, they're walking this great distance. And he explains to them that all of the scripture is about him. And so from that point on, the apostles understood that Isaiah 53 was a prophecy of the things that Jesus was going to go through as he, as he uh, died for them. Um, they, were looking for, they were looking for a conquering Messiah. And so when they read this, they didn't understand. Because this, as you read this, this is not a conquering Messiah. This is a suffering Messiah. This is the one who came to, to die for us. The idea of a suffering Messiah was not something they could wrap their heads around. Uh, and like I said, Jesus taught his disciples that this was a prophecy about him. In this passage, we see th four things about Jesus. The first thing we see is that Jesus came to die for us. It's the first thing that we see. Second, we see that he willingly laid down his life for us. It wasn't taken from him. He laid his life down for us. The third thing that we see is that despite being a king, Jesus was willing to be humiliated for, because of what the end result was going to be. And finally, the last thing that we see is his followers would be innumerable as a result of him going through this. Psalm chapter, Psalm chapter 22, verses 30 and 31 say, Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will, uh, they will come and declare his righteousness. To a people yet to be born, they will declare what he has done. Because Jesus did all of this, we are still telling his story. Philip took this passage in Isaiah. He took this passage and he proceeded to answer the man's questions about Jesus and about what was going. He used it as a jumping point, jumping off point, to share the gospel with him. Now, this statement that the Ethiopian official made about not understanding the scripture, it's a pretty common, common thing these days. I mean, would you agree that, that, that a lot of people, they, 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 they have the Bible. Um, I, I've seen research that says that, that the average person owns, and forgive me, I'm just going to make up a number because that's what you do with, uh, with statistics. Um, the average person owns about three or four copies. I can tell you, I've got a shelf in my house. There's probably 10 copies of the scripture uh, of the Bible on, on that particular shelf. And there's a box in the basement that has more, right? I'm skewing the numbers, which I hopefully you'd expect that from me. Um, but in our current society, so many people will tell you they don't understand what the Bible says. Right? They'll read it and they'll go, well, you know, and, and we hear people make comments about the scripture. And, and sometimes I hear people say things and I'm just scratching my head like, are you and I reading the same book? How did you get that from, from what this says? Um, I've said this before. And, and when, I, when I first came here, this was something I talked about a lot. We live in what can best be described as a post-Christian environment. The culture that we live in is post-Christian. Christian. And what I mean by that is, um, even so far back as, as 20, 30 years ago, even, probably even further, I, I wasn't alive, so I don't know. Um, but 
I love to throw that out there just in case you. I, I love to remind you all how much younger I am you know, than some of you. Um, but we, we lived in an environment where, <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to keep going. Um, we, we live in a culture where you know, 30, 40 years ago, everybody went to church because it was expected that you went to church. And, and, if, and God forbid, you know, you have a, an entire week of rain and your grass is, you know, nine feet high. You happen to have sunshine on Sunday morning, right? And you're out there mowing your grass instead of going to church because you know if somebody from your church drove by, as soon as they got home, they're picking up the party line and they're telling everybody in the neighborhood that so-and-so was not in church because they were cutting their grass. It was expected that you went to church, Right? There wasn't any life change. You went to church because it was expected. Right? There, it was just that was the kind of thing that you did. I remember um, I used to watch this show called um, Friday Night Lights about football team in Texas. And there was a dude, there was a guy, forgive me, I only watched the first season, so I don't really remember much past that. There was a guy, he got caught Sunday or Saturday evening having an affair with his secretary. He was in church Sunday morning. Right? He, was, he was doing all this you know, dirty stuff over here Saturday night. He was in church Sunday morning because that's where he was expected to be. There wasn't any life change. The world that we live in today, my generation, I'm at the tail end of being a millennial. I'm going to claim it. Um, millennials, many of people my age have never been in church at all unless they were there for a wedding or a funeral. The biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. People say they love the Bible, cannot tell you a thing that the Bible says. Now, where am I going with this? I'm trying to ask myself that same question. <laughs> because when the, when the Ethiopian official looked at Philip and said, how can I understand what the Bible says unless someone guides me? Philip, because he knew his scripture so well, was able to take that particular passage, Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, and he was able to lay out for this guy how this was a prophecy of what Jesus was going to do, that Jesus was going to come, he was going to live a perfect life, he was going to die on the cross in our place, and that he was going to, uh, as a result of being the sacrifice for us, our sins could be forgiven. The only way that Philip was able to do that is because he knew his Bible. It's the only way that he was able to do that is because he knew his Bible. Most, most people are unfamiliar with the Bible, and it's sad to say that includes many people who come to church every single Sunday, right? There, there are a lot of people who don't show up for church. There are some people who show up for church because they're, they're it's Tina mentions from time to time, they're checking it off on their list. Well, I went to church, so God's going to bless me because I was in church. Right? God, it says over here, if I come to church, God's going to give me the things that I want. As believers, we are called to share the Bible with the world around us, but we can't share what we don't know. Let me say that again. We can't share what we don't know. We need to be serious students of the Word of God, make, making knowing and studying it one of the most important priorities in our life. Let me share some scripture with you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. And I'm going to bring out the big gun for this one. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we truly want to be obedient to the scripture and to be able to teach the world around us, like, the, like Philip was able to teach the Ethiopian, a world that doesn't know what the Bible says or is following false teachers. There are many, there are many teachers that are, that are teaching things that, that are contrary to Scripture. If we want to teach them and help them, because if they continue to not know what the Scripture says, if they continue to follow false teachers, what's going to end up happening is they're going to be eternally separated from God in a place that we call hell. Right? And it, it, as, as believers, it is our responsibility to make sure that we are letting them know what the Bible says and how they can come to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we want to, if we have to know what the scripture says, if we want to do that. Not what we want the Bible to say. There are a lot of people who come to the Bible and say, uh, that's really hard. I don't think I like that. We, it's not what we want the Bible to say. It's not what we feel the Bible says. It's what the Bible says. Right? It, 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 I know that there are some things, that, there are different genres and things like that. We have to take what the Bible says seriously. It's not, it's not based on our feelings or, well, I don't really like that. I don't think that that's how God intended it. It's written that way. That's how God intended it. If we want that, we need, to, we need to know that. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit, and we need to make sure that studying and knowing our, the Bible is a priority. That may mean that you need to make it a priority to join a Sunday school class. That may mean that you need to get into some kind of Bible reading plan where you're daily pouring into the Scripture. If you've got your, if you've got your phone or an iPad, get the Bible app. There are tons of, um, some of them good, some of them not so good. There are tons of reading plans that, that are available. We have some out here on the, uh, on the rack that I bought that you can pick up and it'll tell you what to read every single day. We have services on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. During all of these times, we're going to teach you what the scripture says. We're going to help you to grow in your faith and to become, uh, to be able to, to share that. Hearing the Bible preached and taught are essential for both your faith to grow and your ability to share it with others. Romans 10, 17 says this, so faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Now, the last thing that we see is not only did Philip share the Christ with them, um, but he also rejoices with the uh, Ethiopian official. Let me read. Uh, I'm going to read 36 through 40. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and, excuse me, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was pre traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. As Philip was teaching the Ethiopian official, as Philip was teaching, the Ethiopian's official's eyes were opened, and his heart was moved to the point of salvation. This is a divine act on the part of God. Right? I heard the Sunday school class this morning talking about how we're dead in our sins. 
When something is dead, guess what it's not doing? It's not moving, it's not doing anything. It's dead, right? It doesn't move, it doesn't grow, it doesn't do anything. When we are, when we are exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a divine act that takes place where the Holy Spirit will open our eyes and open our hearts to the point that we come to understand what is being taught to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. When you're dead in your sins, you don't understand what the Scripture is telling you. But through a divine act of grace on God's part, he opens your eyes and allows you to be saved. At this point in the story, God performs another miracle. Because remember, they're traveling through the desert. They're riding along through the desert. I don't know if you've ever been to a desert. It's hot and it's dry. There's not a lot of water. Tina and I took our, uh, our, um, our honeymoon in Las Vegas. And one of the days that we happened to be there was one of the like seven days of the year that it rains. All right, so we're outside and we get this torrential downpour. We go inside, we, we duck inside one of the hotels, we eat the grossest buffet I've ever seen. I, I, and if you've ever seen uh, National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation, that's where we ate. It was, it was gross, right? It's pouring down rain. We, it finally, about an hour or so later, we come outside. It's completely dry. And I'm going, what in the world just happened? It was torrential. There wasn't even a puddle in the street because Las Vegas is built in the middle of a desert and it is crazy hot there. As Philip and the Ethiopian are traveling along, he happens to look out the window and he goes, whoa, there's some water. What's gonna prevent me from being baptized? And Philip says, let's do it, let's get after it. So they stop the chariot. At this point, the Ethiopian has put his faith and trust in Christ and they go down to the water and they get baptized. Now when the, when the two men come up out of the water, Philip vanishes. He's just, the, the scripture tells us he's carried away. The Greek word here is, in essence, it just means he's snatched and yanked out. He just disappears. The Ethiopian guy's looking around trying to figure out what's going on. The Holy Spirit had grabbed him and taken Philip somewhere else. His job with the Ethiopian official had been completed. He had successfully fulfilled what he was, was there to do. And so because he was such a servant, the Holy Spirit took him up to the place where he was going to serve next. Meanwhile, the Ethiopian, he didn't see him anymore, so he got back in the chariot and he started going home. But there's a change in him. Instead of, instead of kind of being downcast and like, oh, how long is this trip going to go? The scripture tells us that he is rejoicing, that he is excited about what's going to happen. And church history tells us that, and I don't know how exactly, there's kind of some, some uh, legends, I guess you could use to say, um, is that he continued back to Ethiopia and he was one of the men that God used to bring the gospel to Africa. Regardless of how true those are, he was a high-ranking official in, in Candace's court, so he was going to be able to share the gospel with her and everybody who came in contact with him. How, his new faith showed him the importance of, of continuing on like that. There are, I, I, pardon me, I'm skipping all over the place in my notes here. Now, Philip was taken away, and he was returned back to Samaria, the place that he started from. Acts tells us that he continued to preach the gospel in the cities up and down all until he reached a place called Caesarea. Now, there's some indication that Caesarea may have been his hometown, and he was in Jerusalem 
um, for, the, for the day of Pentecost, the, the festival that they celebrated when the Holy Spirit fell. He could have been there for that, or he could have just gotten to the place where he was traveling and doing itinerant work, and he got to Caesarea and said, hey, I really like this place, and he set up shop. But what ends up happening is in Acts chapter 21, Philip, or I'm sorry, Paul, who we'll be introduced to next week, Paul is on his missionary journeys, and he goes to Caesarea, and who do you think he runs into? He runs into Philip. And Philip and his wife and their four daughters are, are leading a successful ministry there. He had been serving Christ for over 20 years, sharing the gospel because of, because of that. Now, this particular event in the book of Acts shows the lengths that God will go to in order to reach someone with the gospel. Right? They, they, a lot of people, you know, they, they come to a meeting and, and it seems like a simple act. There are other stories that you'll hear of people traveling, you know, crossing rivers and doing all of these things. If someone is going to be saved, if someone is going to be a child of God, there is nothing that's going to keep God from accomplishing that particular act. In the middle of all of the excitement that was taking place in the Samaritan revival, the Holy Spirit pulled Philip away in order to bring the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. It was not a coincidence that the Ethiopian official happened to be traveling down that road. That was, there was no coincidence in that situation. You all know that I believe strongly in the sovereignty of God, that everything that happens is God's plan for us. My favorite verse, who thinks they can tell me my favorite? You're not allowed to say it. What, my favorite verse, Acts 17, 26. Y'all should know this by now. Acts, 20, uh, Acts 17, 26 says this. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Everything that happens, happens in God's sovereign plan. The fact that you are in church this morning or maybe watching via Facebook or if you're going to listen to the podcast later, somebody please listen to the podcast to make sure I'm not just spending my money on nothing. Um, if you are coming in contact with this church on this particular day, there is a sovereign reason that God did that. It wasn't just, oh, I think I'll go to church this morning. God planned it from the foundation of the earth to bring you here to hear this message. I don't know what the reason is, but God brought you here just as God brought the Ethiopian down that road at that particular time and happened to bring Philip in contact with him. It was in God's eternal plan for this man to come in contact with Philip and that Philip was willing to participate with God in bringing the gospel to him. God doesn't need to use us. Let me say that again. God doesn't need to use us. But those of us that are yielded to the Holy Spirit, guess what? We have that privilege and that opportunity to be used by God to share the gospel. We get to participate in those blessings when we're willing to follow the Spirit's leading. Philip obeyed the Spirit's instructions and, as a result, was able to celebrate the salvation of this man. In addition, Philip knew his Bible so that when the man asked him about the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, he was able to show him Christ from all of the Scripture. This only comes when we are devoted to learning, loving, and knowing our Bibles. It isn't enough to show up on church every once in a while and think we are going to be prepared to share Jesus. Let me read 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts regard Christ as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. As believers, we must yield to the Holy Spirit and we must know our scriptures because when we, when we do those things, when we are yielded to the Holy Spirit, 
and we know our Bible, we'll be in the right place for God to use us, just as he did Philip. We will be the tools he uses to bring the gospel to a world that so desperately needs it. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you so much for the story of Philip, Lord. I thank you for his uh, being yielded to the Spirit, for the fact that he knew his Bible, and as a result, he was able to be used by you to bring salvation, to help bring the message of salvation uh, to the man who was traveling down the road. Lord, I pray that the same could be said for each one of us, that, that we are yielded to your Spirit, that we are, are not doing the things that we want to do, but that we are yielded to your Spirit so that we will, we will obey his, the, the leadings that he has for us, Lord. And I pray that we would be a church and, and, a, and a, a church family that knows our Bible so well that when someone, when we're in those situations that are softball situations, or maybe even the ones that are more difficult, we'll be able to open the scripture and be able to point people to Jesus, the message of the gospel uh, as a result. Lord, I pray for each person that's here this morning, whether they're sitting here in the service or watching us uh, via Facebook or, or listening later on. Um, Lord, I, I pray that, that each person's heart would be open to the message, to the, to the message that the Holy Spirit has for them. I know that you work in mysterious ways, and um, sometimes the, the things that are said are, are not always the, the message that's received, Lord, but I, I pray that you would work in each person's heart and meet the need that they, that they have, whether that's a need for forgiveness, the need to forgive, uh, the, a need to, to, to lay down our, our, our defenses, to put down our defenses, pull our shell off and, and give our hearts to you, Lord. Lord, whatever it may be, I, I ask that the Holy Spirit would work in open eyes and open hearts. Father, help us to be more like your son. Help us to have a love for the Bible. Help us to, to dive in and to make it a priority. To, to adjust our schedules if need be so that we can uh, continue to grow and, and, and love, love the scriptures because it is your revealed word, Lord. Help each one of us to, to be more like your son. We ask this in your beautiful name.